0: Hello, and welcome to AMM Conversation, official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. I'm your host, Jason Karras. Today I'm joined by Dr. Augustin Fu, an MIT trained scientist whose current passion is digital ad fraud. He has two decades of experience in digital marketing, including as the chief digital officer at Omnicom. He's taught digital strategy at both Rutgers and NYU, His current clients run the gamut of marketers, publishers, and advertising tech companies, with a number of partners in the healthcare and pharmaceutical space. Welcome to the show, Dr. Fu. Where do you think we stand as a nation on data privacy in the year 2020?
1: It's really a transition year, if you will. Um, I think people have been more aware of privacy issues since the 2016 election here in the U.S., And that's because of the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal, right? So if that didn't happen, if that information didn't break, basically people would still be going about their merry ways, thinking everything's fine. But that was a case where people, you know, consumers, the average consumer would know they're interacting with Facebook. What they didn't know is that Facebook was allowing a third party like a Cambridge Analytica to come in and buy the data or use the data or resell the data or collect more data and so on and so forth. So that was what I think was surprising to a lot of consumers, right? So they knew they were interacting with Facebook as they were using their app. But what they didn't know was all the other parties that had access to their personal information. And because of kind of that Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal, more and more people are aware of it. And so governments and consumer protection groups are starting to get involved in looking into this because obviously a lot of the ad tech companies have just been you know, collecting data at will and the consumers had no recourse and no way of opting out. So I think I would call 2020 almost like a transition year where there's now sufficient knowledge that privacy issues should be taken seriously. And so I think because of some of the regulations uh, like GDPR in Europe and CCPA here, kind of the first wave of it starting in California, there's other regulations uh, in, in process right now in other states. But I think there's both support from consumers and also support from government bodies to say, OK, we got to you know look into this a little bit more and lock it down or at least put some, put some guardrails around it.
0: And you started to talk about, you know, the regulatory landscape, you know, GDPR, I think was 2015. It's been a few years since that. California, Nevada, Colorado have frameworks for regulation in place regarding privacy. Uh, There's a lot more in the pipeline at the state and federal level. Are you concerned with the fragmentation uh, and lack of centralized policy in the United States?
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you have 50 different versions from 50 different states then you know we we have enough trouble trying to interpret one version, right? Like GDPR and seeing what applies and what doesn't. Imagine having 50 different versions, one from each state. And I think that's gonna be a lot of the ad tech companies, they're just kind of delaying the inevitable. So you kind of think of the different phases. First is you have to get the regulations passed. And then once it's passed, then you have to start enforcement. Right. We're barely into the enforcement part right there. There's been a few fines, not specifically here in the U.S., but there's been fines handed out with GDPR in in other countries. But here in the U.S., we haven't really even started uh, enforcement. And even after you start enforcing this and suing the companies for violations and even winning, sometimes those ad tech companies may delay paying the fines until you sue them again for non-payment, right? So there's a lot of ways these companies can game the system and for all intents and purposes, not have to comply with even regulations that are passed. So I think the fragmentation is definitely not gonna help because they can just you know game the system further.
0: Yeah, and like you said, even when they have new regulation in place, the runway could be long and our tech companies may even evolve the passage of the the legislation to the implementation and enforcement correct
1: yep i mean some of them are evolving for the better i would say there's been historically some entities like mozilla foundation that's been very much uh, pro-consumer and pro-privacy for you know all along so those organizations are doing more like you've heard the, the firefox browser for many many years you could delete cookies when c- closing it down. So you start fresh every time you start up Firefox. And then now they're blocking third party trackers and Apple Safari is also doing that. And then you know I think by next year or 2022, Google Chrome is gonna block all third party cookies. So I think some of those are coming down the pipe and they're gonna be better for consumers but there's always pros and cons to, to all of that, right? So the people who are against Chrome doing that are saying, oh, well, Google is kind of forcing their hand and you know, by disallowing third-party cookies, they're just basically consolidating power to themselves, right, because they have the browser, they own the browser, and they own the ad tech pipes and everything. So uh, it's an anti-competitive move is what they're being accused of, where they're now forcing out all these third-party ad tech companies.
0: As an ad fraud investigator, are there specific regulatory concerns you have in your space?
1: I guess the way these two things intersect is a lot of people have asked me whether the increase in regulations will cause a decrease in fraud. And my response to that is it's completely unrelated. So bad guys are, you know, using bots to load web pages they're also using bots to visit medical journal sites to make themselves look like doctors. So the bad guys never follow rules anyway. So whether we have regulatory <laughs> rules or anything, bad guys are going to still commit the fraud. So I don't necessarily see any of these regulations causing a decrease in fraud. Fraud is going to continue.
0: Privacy is evolving you know, with concerns across a number of digital mediums social, facial recognition, artificial intelligence, algorithmic fairness are some of the buzzwords that I've seen. Is technology moving too fast for regulators and the general citizenry?
1: Absolutely. We've seen that all along, right? So since the beginning of the internet, you know, it's really hard to apply, say, publishing rules or laws to the internet, because there's sufficient differences. And do you consider a site like Google, you know, that provides a search service and they show you a clip of, you know, the news item are they a publisher? Probably not. They're you know they're only showing you a snippet and then they link you through to the actual publisher. But all of those things were new at the time, right? So the tech is always going to be way way ahead of regulations. And I think regulations come about when We've seen a problem for sufficiently long that both consumers rise up, consumer advocates rise up, and then force the government entities or regulatory bodies to actually step up and do something, right? So the lag could be extremely long or very significant lag.
0: You know, Facebook and the Cambridge analytical scandal really cracked the egg on the privacy concerns. You know, do you think that they learned their lesson or have they just sort of ducked and, and pivoted
1: I think it's not a lesson that they're going to learn because it's at odds with their business model. So Facebook will continue to sell data, will continue to allow others to harvest data. And sometimes they'll say, oh, well, we didn't know they were harvesting data, right? So just like years and years ago, LinkedIn filed a lawsuit against John Doe because they knew that companies were scraping profiles off of LinkedIn. They just didn't know who they were right so in that case they had to file a lawsuit against john doe to kind of stop that practice but even now you realize that bots can just log in and pretend to be a human right so they can just log in they can continue scraping so i think if the laws are at odds with the giant companies business models The companies will continue with their business until they get caught, they get fined, and so on and so forth. Even after they get fined, they'll still argue, oh, well, let's go to try that again. You know, let's get that court decision thrown out and let's retry the whole thing, right? So these big companies have so much money that they can practically dictate when and if they can continue doing what they want to do. So I think it's going to be very hard to enforce regulations, even if they get passed.
0: We'll be right back after a message from the Association of Medical Media.
2: Hi, I'm Todd Mandik, Executive Director of the Association of Medical Media. Just taking a pause here to thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast series on digital privacy. Whether it's the first episode or the last, we really hope that you're finding some nuggets and tidbits that you can put in use just as soon as the episode's over. Please don't hesitate to check out ammonline.org, our website, not only for updates on programming that we might be having along with a host of resources that members can take advantage of, including recaps of previous educational sessions, and our Medical Media Matters fact sheet, which will clue you into some research that might be helpful as you're talking to folks that you work with. As always, if we can be of any of assistance, we would be honored to do that. You can reach us at help at ammonline.org. That's also a great email address to use, help at ammonline.org. If you're not getting our weekly newsletter, and would like to as well. I don't wanna take up too much of your time. I hope you're enjoying this podcast series and let's get you back to this episode. Take care.
0: We're back with ad fraud expert, Dr. Augustin Fu. Let's get back to the conversation. Amazon's in the crosshairs again. Congress is fired up about the reports, I think in the New York Times, that the retail giant was using data from its partners in its like third-party marketplace to identify and build competing products to compete against those using their platform. You know, is that all at all surprising to you that business partners would potentially breach agreements for the advantage?
1: Well, first of all, it doesn't surprise me. But second of all, I don't think there's been any kind of agreements between Amazon and the sellers that they wouldn't do that. Right. And you could argue or you could see how proponents of that would argue, oh, well, that's just being smart. Right. There's all this data here. Right. You can see what sells really well. So therefore you go create a generic product. I mean, the the equivalent in the offline world would be Trader Joe's making some really good generic products. Right. Uh, not generic in the sense that it, it's their own brand. Right. You call it maybe a house brands or something. Right. Whole Foods does the same they have their 365 brand they know what sells really well and previously they had to actually send people into grocery stores and to see what sells really well amazon just happens to be this platform that everyone sells on so they have that data you know why wouldn't they use it and i'm pretty sure they would not have had in the agreements with their sellers that they wouldn't use it so now that people can see it, and it's been happening for many, many years, and now that people say, oh, well, that doesn't seem fair. You know, so now that's why the regulators are actually looking into it.
0: Apple and Google have partnered during the COVID-19 health crisis to produce a contact tracing app that uses anonymous Bluetooth location information to potentially send alerts to individuals when they're near a person who's tested positive for the virus. Uh, some countries like the United Kingdom have rejected this idea. Does that say something about privacy? Are we moving forward as a society, or you know, is there no willingness to open the floodgates to give Apple and Google that kind of power, even during a crisis?
1: Well, it's always like it, it's you know the same thing replayed over and over again, right? So during a crisis, you know, you'd have reasons why you would want to give these big companies access to your medical information, your location, give them, you know, install their app on your device. But then what happens afterwards, right? So once they get these uh, privileges, do they ever stop doing it? I think Apple did say that they would actually stop using the app or you could uh, uninstall it or something afterwards. So again, it's not totally clear. But, um, you know, something like this, it's really kind of right at the cutting edge. But you know, consumers will have to decide on their own. I mean, years and years ago, I don't know if you've heard the term two thing, that was when Bluetooth first came about. And it was a cool thing where you could actually see all the people that had their Bluetooth turned on within X feet of you. And these were people who were open to dating or doing other stuff for that matter. So back then it was a cool thing and people wanted it. So, you know, now we're talking about the privacy implications of it. So you can definitely see it both ways, if you will. And the question remains whether we trust these big companies to do the right thing, handle our personal data in a sensitive way, in a private way. I mean, I think companies have proven themselves, right? So Apple has had a long track record of being very pro-consumer uh, privacy, right? Just look at their Safari browser. Uh, Google has been the opposite, right? So again, it depends. You know, I think consumers will have to decide for themselves. But again, the government's job is to make sure the consumer has that choice, right? They can opt out if they wanted to. But in some countries, don't remember which one, but they install the app automatically on their cell phones because they could, right? The government just said you have to install it and they had no choice. So in that case, is that going to be counter to democracy in general, right? So we're seeing a lot of uh, you know things being discussed both ways.
0: A lot of knowledgeable people have, said that medical marketing, medical media, communications is ahead of the game when it comes to data privacy. Has that been your experience?
1: So I think I would agree with that statement that in general, medical marketing or medical media is ahead of the curve in terms of privacy because they've had to be thinking about these regulations that deal with patient privacy and physician privacy for a much longer time. And there's also this notion that medical media is more B2B oriented, like business to business versus business to consumer. And on the consumer side, that's kind of where the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal came out, right? A lot of consumers didn't realize their information was being bought and sold and so on and so forth. But on the medical side, even though people are very privacy focused, because we're using new technologies, there may still be cases where it just leaks. So, for example, years ago, doing the project with a big pharma company, in the click-through URLs to their search ads, there would be various parameters, which one of which included the NPI number of the physician that was being targeted. So, obviously, they didn't realize that until after we said, uh, is this supposed to be there? And so, you know, on the one side, they were targeting the physician, trying to make sure they were getting the right search ad and the right content and stuff like that. So you know, ostensibly for good purposes. But again, some of that information should not have been in the URL in the clear. So again, you know, we have to kind of learn about these new technologies and then continue to be vigilant about privacy issues.
0: You know, along those same lines, a lot of the publishers I've talked about are not worried about their internal privacy and your privacy policies, the way they handle the data and their clientele. They're worried about working with the vendors. You know, whether it be ad tech, whether it be audience development, you know, social media, they're worried about those things where they have less control. Is that where you see a potential problem?
1: Yep. So, just like in any kind of cybersecurity scenario, the more people that have access to that data, the higher the risk, right? What happens if one of your partners gets breached, right? So, uh, you're right in saying that most of the publishers themselves have the right privacy policies in place, have the right procedures and practices in place. But once you have a third party touching the data, handling the data, then you know you have to make sure that they also have done their homework. But one other specific issue is the trackers, right? So the publisher themselves might not be violating consumer's privacy or the visitor's privacy. But when they have third party trackers, uh, which is basically JavaScript code, that gets installed on the website, then it kind of is the same thing as the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal because the consumer thinks they're interacting with this medical journal site. What they don't see is that there's 30 other trackers behind the scenes that are sending data off to some other you know, ad tech company or data management platform or whatever. So I think in those cases, you have to be very careful about who gets access to that data and where that data actually goes because once it leaves your boundaries, right? Then you lose control over it and they may be subject to risk as well.
0: Absolutely. And super slows down your uh, load time, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. All those trackers just harm the consumer experience. So they think it's the website doing it to them, but it's actually all the trackers that have to load in. And then when you load in an ad, there's probably another five to 10 trackers that come in with each ad. So it really makes it a bad consumer experience.
0: All right. Let's talk about when you presented last month at the AMM Educational Forum, actually it was two months now. You have a slide in your presentation that you know good publishers protect their customers. And I know a lot of the publishers on hand really applauded that slide. Can you dive a bit deeper on that topic with regard to privacy?
1: Yeah, so for the publishers, I'm gonna call their customers the advertisers. Right. They do have uh, readers like the physicians that go to their site to consume the content. But because they're making their money from the ads that are paid for by the pharma companies, I'm going to talk about their customers as the pharma marketers. So the reason or the way good publishers protect the advertisers is by not doing unscrupulous things. Right, So that's why I use the term good publishers as opposed to websites that carry ads. So in my field of research in terms of ad fraud, there are sites that are set up solely to commit fraud. They don't really have any content. They don't really want any people to go there. The sites are just put up solely for the purpose of loading as many ad impressions as possible. So those are, I just call them sites that carry ads. They don't deserve to be called publishers. So in those cases, they can do a whole host of other stuff that could be outright fraud, like using bots to load the pages, or it could be kind of in that gray area like, oh, well, why don't we just refresh the page every five seconds? Or why don't we reload the ad slots every two seconds? Right? Or why don't we stick 10 ads on top of each other so that we can get you know, 10 times more ad impressions in on the same page? Right? So those are examples of things that sites can do to cheat and make more money. Good publishers don't do that, right? And in in addition to not doing those unscrupulous things, they can also filter for obvious bot traffic, right? So sometimes there are bots that are legitimate bots, like uh, search engine crawlers, right? You want those to come to your site to index your page. But what a good publisher would do is actually not show the ad when they know it's a search engine crawler uh, coming to the site, right? That's the right thing to do. But again, you know, sometimes if the publisher or the website is not as scrupulous, they'll say, oh, well, if no one catches or calls me out on that, why wouldn't I? Because it just means a little more money for me. So I think good publishers kind of go above and beyond and take proactive steps like not serving the ad when the search engine crawler is coming to the site or filtering for known bots that come come from data centers because they know that most humans don't access the internet through data centers. So, you know those are just additional things that I give credit to good publishers for doing to protect the advertisers
0: so the a m m s statement on online privacy in the first paragraph says privacy and trust of our audiences is paramount. Do you believe the majority or all of medical media is living up to this mantra?
1: I think yes, I think most of medical media they aspire to do the right thing, right most of them are honest, upstanding citizens. I will say that sometimes the bar should be raised a little bit higher. So I think the key point to understand is that if a patient comes to your site or if a physician comes to your site and all of a sudden they find out that their information has been leaked or compromised in some way, once you lose that trust, it's going to be really, really hard to get it back. And I think it's even more important in medical media because It's people's health conditions or medical conditions are something they want kept private, right? So if any of that stuff leaks or some third party gets a hold of it, I think there'll be even more vigorous outcry than we saw with the Facebook Cambridge Analytica thing. So I think for medical media, the bar should be set a little bit higher. I think everyone is conscious of it and is trying to do the right thing, but what are other steps that you can do? So for example, a publisher, right? Instead of having 30 Third party trackers on their site, it's probably a good idea for them to review all of that, right? They may not need all thirty. They might you know want to leave one or two on the site if any. So those are examples of where they can raise the bar themselves and try to protect the privacy of their consumers and also the trust of their customers, the advertisers.
0: Yeah, that kind of goes along with David Reem from DMD. He has a privacy forward initiative where he says medical media can be better and that current regulations should just define the floor that's kind of what you're talking about there right
1: yeah i think that's a good way to think about regulations um that's kind of like the minimum bar right the the cost of entry everyone should be doing that if they're not then they got to raise their game but again privacy protection is not a static thing it's not a one and done thing because you know especially just like we talked about earlier when you move into new areas of technology like ad tech or programmatic tech and data management platforms where they're tracking consumers for the purpose of targeting, again, they're collecting lots and lots of data that wasn't collected before. And you have to ask, you know, who has access to that data? Who gets to use that data? What happens if a consumer or a physician chooses to opt out, right? Right. So that's what I mean by regulations and privacy initiatives are not static. You have to keep evolving just like the technology is evolving. So I think there are things that both the publishers should do as well as the marketers. Of course, they think they can do better targeting the more data that they have, but marketers should really take a long, hard look at whether you're having 500 parameters for targeting yields any better business outcomes than just five.
0: And again, thank you for your time. Uh, We really appreciate your insights and analysis here. You know, any final thoughts or advice for medical media now or in the future?
1: I think uh, final thoughts would be for medical media to continue to lead. Like we said earlier, because they are B2B and because they're dealing with much smaller volumes than a corresponding B2C or business to consumer marketer. They have the opportunity to better protect both the patient's information and the physician's information so they can continue to be in this leadership position and continue to show uh, kind of forward thinking or progress in terms of uh, being proactive on these privacy issues and not just wait until California passes their law or Michigan passes their law or other states, right? They know what's right and they could actually get to that goal faster or sooner than the states are able to pass laws so like we said before regulation should be seen as the lowest bar you have to comply with that and if you can do better that's better
0: that is all for this episode of amm conversation official podcast of the association of medical media thank you for listening This episode concludes Season 1 of the AMM Conversation podcast, which focused on data privacy and medical media. Make sure to listen to more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. More information on data privacy, including AMM's principles on online privacy, are available at ammonline.org. And make sure to keep an eye out for Season 2 of the AMM podcast, It's coming soon. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the guests and not necessarily to the host, AMM, or any other group or individual.